Welcome to Creating Healthier Futures, a new podcast from Allegis. I'm Brian Colburn. And I'm Anna Lyons. In this series, we'll reveal the state of healthcare consumerism through trends and research, our own data, and the health benefit experts that are driving our industry forward. To download the materials discussed in this episode or learn more on the topic, be sure to visit Allegis.com. That's A-L-E-G-E-U-S.com. Thanks for tuning in. Last month, Allegis hosted a virtual forum where a panel of experts from across the industry shared their views on the state of health benefits and the themes that will shape the industry in the coming year. In today's episode, we bring you highlights from this discussion. The voices you'll hear include Kat Perez of Health Sherpa, Carly Dunkelberger of Alight, and Jason Lacey of Folston Sifkin LLP. We hope that you find this insightful as you think about your business priorities in 2021. As is the case with most virtual events, audio quality can be suspect at times. Thank you for bearing with us during these imperfect moments. For more data and details on the themes discussed today, download our 2021 Health Benefits Outlook at Allegis.com backslash Outlook. Okay, so let's dive into to the themes. And we'll start with the first one, which is uh, this theme of digital transformation and hyper-personalization. So everybody has heard the saying, if you build it, they will come. I think it's it's probably fair to say in healthcare that that has not been true. So lots of innovation, a lot of point solutions that haven't really come together in the right way to deliver the value that ultimately we think uh, is likely to come from those for consumers. Um, and ultimately, as an employer or benefits administrator, it's about getting the right technology and the right engagement strategy, right? So you got to put those two things together. And so, Carly, I'd, I'd love to start with you. As we think about uh, the investments that Alight has made in digital experience recently, can you talk to some of those and what outcomes you expect those to drive? And, and what is the role of personalization as you guys think about the future of benefits? So, um, you know, a lot of questions there, Brian, and uh, I'd like to take a a, a a pass at these questions by thinking about the personal piece of it. You mentioned technology, you mentioned digital, you mentioned uh, hyper-personalization and really having an impact on people. I like to refer to it as having a digital cup of coffee with everybody uh, at their higher date when they're looking at benefits at annual enrollment or when they're going through a life change in their life. And what we've uncovered uh, is really helpful to changing the outcome is being able to personalize the technology so someone can make their benefit choices and review what options are available um, on any device that happens to work for them. You know, I think about someone who wants to look at it on their iPhone, they want to look at it on their iPad, or maybe we have the other end of the spectrum, which is printed out so I can, you know, sit at the table and, you know, review it with my spouse. We have found that when it comes to investing in the digital platform, we have to address all of those uh, possibilities so each person can make their choices in a way that helps them understand their options and then ultimately make those decisions. And here's a really cool thing that we um, have uh, invested in, which is to say that when someone does go into their annual enrollment process or they're a new hire and they're making choices, um, what we're doing is we're pulling in data we know about them or we know about our clients. And we're asking them a few questions like, hey, would you like to pay a lower premium now and then potentially have higher out-of-pocket expenses? 
or would you like to pay a little bit more for your health insurance now and then have a more predictable, lower out-of-pocket expense when you actually need health care? What we found is we, if we can go through a few questions in that enrollment process, we can help lead somebody to a better choice. Yeah, that's really great. And I think that that jives pretty well with how we've thought about the market, which is, I, I think, historically, the market has said, let's educate consumers and get them smarter on healthcare. And I think where things are going today, it feels much more around, like, we're recognizing that there are limitations on how much a consumer is ever going to know about healthcare and using technology and sort of practical solutions to help get them to better places without expecting them to have a PhD in medicine or in the healthcare space. So it's really great. Um, the other, the other piece of this is around adoption and engagement. So I think, you know, first question would be for you, Carly, and then Kat, I would love to hear from you from a product perspective. Um, as you think about employer and consumer engagement, are there other, uh, tools or approaches that Carly are being used at Alight, for example, to help drive some of that? Absolutely. So um, when it comes to employers deciding how to engage their people, or even us as a partner with our clients, we found that leveraging surveys periodically throughout the year uh, can be a great way to ask people what's important to them, what they're looking to learn. And then the counterbalance to that is when we pick up information about what someone wants to hear about or what they value from their employer, from their healthcare provider, when they're using health Healthcare, we can then help clients target messages and target them to the right people uh, based on their health plan of choice and based on um, utilizing HSAs, FSAs, or HRAs and tying that all in so that we can help people um, use their accounts wisely and also make great decisions about which healthcare provider to use based on quality, based on price, based on location, and really take more control of the buying and paying process for Healthcare. And so, so Kat, maybe to pivot to you, and what I love about your background is you're so deep in product and sort of that consumer experience. Um, what strategies do you see or are you using um, today to sort of drive adoption, particularly tech adoption, amongst consumers? Yeah, yeah. So there's so much of what Carly said. And I don't know if it's just the panelists who can see me or if everyone can see me, but I was very much nodding my head in agreement. Um, there's a lot of what Carly said that that plays into at least the kind of product um, development cycle as it relates to services that we're providing and technology we're building for consumers. Decision support is something that is critical, at least in the experiences and the tools we built um, here at HealthSherpa that we have, um, and really making sure that we are customizing the experience to the consumer. What providers do they want to keep when they're looking at new plans? What networks do they want to consider as they choose a new plan? What can they can they technically afford monthly um, to pay for a health plan and have access to those benefits? So there's just so much that goes into it. Um, so decision support is key, and that's part of personalization. But really, as, as you think about making it easy and simple, you can do this through products for sure, right? We, we, we've seen this in other models, think TurboTax. But as you as you mentioned, and as you folks have already mentioned, there's only so there's a ceiling there, right? Because it is very complex. Um, the regs are constantly changing. It is very very tricky. Um, so that's why you know having access to 
brokers, consumer advocates support, that's just always going to be a part of the experience. So when we think about products, um, we also think about the experiences that exist outside of technology, because that's just always going to be a part of it. We know for a fact that, you know, most of the, um, I think last open enrollment, the individual coverage volume that came through the marketplace, about half was broker assisted. So I think those are just, you know, important things to note. The other thing that I'll mention um, is data is so key as we kind of create our roadmaps, prioritize them. Um, we've had well over 15 million shopping sessions on our platform, and there's so much to be gained by looking at that data, analyzing that data, what plans are people choosing? What do those households look like? What do those federal poverty limits look like for those households, right? There's there's a lot to be kind of learned from that data as we build decision support tools and engines. Yeah, those are some great points. Um, so so let's pivot then, I guess, to the, the second theme, which is kind of this topic of more flexible healthcare coverage. I would say we we see two things. One uh, will be obvious to most people, sort of this rise of the gig economy, right? Particularly, I think COVID has it um, uh, sort of hastened that a bit. And then the other thing that we see is we see a lot of younger folks who sort of come into the workforce and they say, why is it that I get my health insurance from an employer? Or like on average, I'm gonna be here for two and a half years. Does that make any sense? And so some of the startups um, that we talk to and particularly younger founders of companies are starting to think, is it really the right thing to have a one size fits all healthcare solution for my company or am I better off uh, offering some type of pre-tax benefit like an ICHRA and then letting my employees go figure out the, the solution that works best for them. So if you're in my situation with four kids, one with a chronic condition, you're probably going to choose a different plan than somebody else would. Um, so, so Kat, if I can stick with you uh, to start with, how has the, the gig economy impacted, um, you know, healthcare and health benefits as an industry? And where do you see that going? Yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen on our side as it maps back to individual coverage on the marketplace under the, the ACA, um, lots more folks from startups, gig economy, um, eligible for subsidies, right, or premium tax credits on the marketplace. We've definitely seen that for sure over the past few years. I think what is tricky, um, and I'm sure if Jason will have thoughts on but as we think, as we kind of look at some of these companies who are the economy and are effectively shifting these workers to 1099 status, um, that's where it gets tricky in terms of what you can offer, right? Because that means you are considered self-employed and you may not uh, qualify for those preferred benefits like HRAs. So the one thing that we, we certainly acknowledge is it is also common for these employees to have multiple jobs, right? Part-time jobs. So it just depends, you know, where, where, what they're being offered um, across these, these potential um, part-time jobs. So there's opportunity and there's different paths to coverage, whether it's through um, an ICRA, uh, if they are not in a 1099 class, or whether it's through subsidies on the marketplace. So, so Jason, that's probably a good segue. Um, are there legal considerations for benefit administrators, brokers, and employers 
as they're looking at ICHRAs. So Kat mentioned a couple of those, but anything they'd have to pay special attention to that's different from an HSA or an FSA, for example. Um, yeah, so I think the, the biggest thing on that without going clear into the weeds on all the rules related to ICRAs, but, but probably the biggest structural thing that uh, is a consideration, I, I'll hesitate to say it's a problem or issue because it can depend on the context, but but this idea that uh, that, that the ICRA sort of has to be the, the sole model. In other words, you can't take a class of employees and offer them a choice between the ICRA and the more traditional uh, health plan. It has to be one or the other with some limited exceptions. Uh, now, for example, you could, you know, you could offer the ICRA to, you know, part-time folks and have the traditional plan for your more full-time market uh, workforce. So that, you know, there are, there are ways to, to mix and match a little bit, but as a, a general rule, the ICRA doesn't play well with other, you know, types of, of plans or more traditional models. Um, and that I think makes it a little bit hard uh, to experiment, uh, particularly for, for larger or, or employers with, with more traditional workforces. And anything that we should be thinking about from a legislative perspective over the next year, uh, whether it relates to ICRAs or, or other vehicles, uh, things that, that might be on the horizon? Um, you, you know, probably the, the biggest thing, big, big picture uh, legislatively is just watching if there's going to be any uh, attack on that idea that, that the employer ought to be the the sort of focal point for health coverage, and in particular, the tax benefits available to employer-sponsored uh, health plans and health health insurance. If that goes away uh, or gets you know minimized to some extent, uh, then that's a that's going to kind of change the the dynamic in the calculus. I don't think that's likely to, to come up, particularly not in the next couple of years. But that's always something uh, we're keeping an eye on. So far, we've covered the themes of hyper-personalization and flexible health coverage. Next, we dive into themes three and four, which align in many ways. Theme three, the full consumer life cycle, imagines a return to long-term savings and investing. And theme four, whole person health, talks about an employer shift to supporting employees in all areas of physical, financial, and mental health. Both concepts have come to the forefront after a year marked by deep health and financial concerns. It's not just about healthcare right now. When it comes to what the stress is on people that are trying to go to work, do their jobs, change their work-life balance, care for their children, you know, do in-home learning, like all of those things are impacting the whole health picture uh, of people that are, are working for our clients. We saw our clients say, are there different ways to reward our talent? Are there different ways to help give them money? And uh, the Section 139 pre-tax benefit got a lot of attention starting in April. Uh, another thing that happened was clients said, well, you know, the pre-tax is really nice, but is there another way for us to give money, even on a post-tax basis to people in a way that we can control the expense list, but then also see how our employees are using the money? And this is going to go back again to using surveys to understand what matters most, where um, our employees or our clients' employees are being impacted as we go through this year, and then adjusting the benefits for something like a lifestyle account or a life planning account. And we even specifically launched a a COVID reimbursement account that is post-tax where employers could define whatever they wanted on the list. Yeah, I'd love to continue on that thread of shifting just a little bit to mental health. 
right? So I, I think COVID has really sort of brought mental health to the fore for a lot of employers and certainly for employees, um, particularly those with four kids and a, and a dog at their feet. So um, Carly, you know, can, can you talk a little bit about the interest that you've seen this year? Uh, I assume there's probably more interest in mental health. And, and what does that sort of um, predict for the future? Is this something that's going to last for another six months or is this uh, sort of a shift that's here to stay? Well, you know, Brian, that's a that's a challenging question because, you know, first you have to have someone, let's say I'm the employee, say that I'm I'm struggling with things in my life, which could be financial, it could be um uh a physical, it could be health wise, uh and, and I have to own it, like admit that I need some help. The second part of that is what's creating the mental health challenges or what is creating the need for additional support when it comes to um, helping someone. And um, I personally have a point of view that financial stability and making sure that I have enough or anyone has enough uh, finances to um, take care of their family, their home, like the basics as we go through the craziness of the pandemic this year, that grounding becomes a really strong foundation to rest on. And so that takes me back to what I shared earlier. And I, I believe, you know, Kat referenced this as well. It's the entire whole person when it comes to looking at helping with mental health. If I feel that I can care for my family and myself and still show up and perform at my job, I am much more balanced in terms of how I feel about everything that I'm managing in my life. Great. Hey, Kat, as we think about ICRAs, um, what is the role of an ICRA in the COVID environment in supporting employees more generally? Uh, any any perspectives from your side would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I'll speak to two things we've seen um, in terms of the groups considering or who have already implemented ICRAs this year. Um, I think the first thing is just offering an ICRA to um, effectively part-time or contract populations. That's something you don't see often. Um, the way that we work with employers prior to ICRA is providing access to the marketplace, premium tax credits, et cetera. So this is something new that we're seeing. We're seeing employers offering coverage through an ICRA to um, non-full-time folks, which is fantastic. So we're seeing a lot of that happen this year. I think the second thing that is interesting is around um, how employers are thinking about offering the ICRA benefits along with, you know, those cafeteria plans, right? So really, really looking at um, that design and that that package in terms of what folks need um, and having those benefits and that package cover more than just premiums, right? So, the, so those covered benefits and expenses. Um, the other thing that we're seeing are carriers we, we also uh, power about 25 plus um, carrier technology across um, the states, but effectively the carriers who are um, forward thinkers on and movers on ICRA are designing uh, that new kind of off exchange plans, comprehensive plans to really kind of mirror some of the benefits and the bells and whistles that are offered through employer coverage. So, you know, wellness benefits, um, telehealth, et cetera, all the things that really would matter um, during this time. So we're seeing a lot of that happening uh, across some big carriers, the the new kind of off exchange plan design. And the reason why the off exchange is important to consider here 
is because if you are offered the ICRA benefits and also the um, Section 125, the cafeteria plan for cost of premiums, you really can use those funds to uh, uh, get coverage off the marketplace, so, so non-subsidized coverage. And we're seeing a lot of that come through this year. The final theme of the Health Benefits Forum covers an industry trend we expect to see more buzz about in the coming year, integrated benefits. The idea is this. Benefit administrators will choose to bundle several types of benefit accounts into one offering to provide a more cohesive experience for employers and to save money. Carly dives into the subject by talking about a light total health, an integrated benefits offering they've seen success with. We at Alight, we, we believe there's a pent-up demand for healthcare. And there's going to be a push that goes out there uh, and the demand is going to have a blip. It's a matter of when that's going to hit. And we also believe that in that moment of helping people um, re-engage in health care, go get the care they need, address the personal situation, total health is about being able to have uh, a health coach. It's about being able to have somebody that can help make decisions about choosing doctors, choosing healthcare providers, and being able to make decisions tied to quality outcomes, tied to location, tied to expertise. And uh, that's really a big part of the total health picture. And we find that, you know, since we have the privilege at Alight to serve 70% of the Fortune 100 and more than 50% of the Fortune 500, our clients are demanding uh, that, that we can put money behind our, our message of value, that we can guarantee some cost savings. And the total health picture is about the personal impact, and then it's also about the business impact. How can we help people and really be personal with them in a moment that they need care, and then ultimately bring that home in savings to the employer client while we're helping individuals preserve their HSAs or use their HSAs and other accounts wisely? Of course, we couldn't have conducted this panel without talking about the event that dominated all of our lives in 2020, COVID-19. In the health benefits industry, the pandemic had a major impact on legislation. Several regulations passed to make benefit account rules and deadlines more flexible in the wake of a major economic strain. I asked Jason if we can expect similar legislation in 2021 as the pandemic continues. No, that's exactly uh, right, Brian. So the, the, the sort of relief that we saw uh, provided uh, earlier in this year, really in the spring of this year, you know, as kind of an initial reaction to the to the pandemic, uh, you know, did try to provide a little bit more flexibility, uh, particularly in the CDH space for, you know, employees that, that might not be able to use up uh, account balances that they had anticipated being able to use. Uh, and I think at least uh, in my uh, sort of anecdotal kind of experience, uh, it's been a bit of a mixed bag in terms of, you know, the extent to which employers have adopted that. Now, that'd be fair. Uh, part of the the structure around that is that there wasn't a lot of relief for uh, calendar year plans. And I think just statistically, you know, the, the, the majority of plans would be calendar year based uh, plans. So you, you kind of set those aside uh, just from a structural perspective. Uh, for the other plans, uh, you know, I think in general, we saw employers saying, well, we want to be as flexible as we can. This is essentially employee money. And so we don't want to see people, you know, losing things. Uh, but, uh, but there wasn't uh, as much push, uh, at least early in the year from employers to kind of do things and then plans, you know, adopt those uh, more flexible uh, uh, sort of arrangements. 
uh, in part because uh, the employees uh, seem to be saying um, we, we still can't use the money. You know, it's uh, maybe I had this balance, uh, you know, left at the end of April or May, and and this guidance allows me to, you know, continue to incur expenses through the end of uh, end of December and and charge them against that balance. But I'm still not, you know, my kids still aren't going to daycare. I'm still not seeing uh, the doctor or uh, having that elective eye surgery I thought I was going to have or whatever the, you know, kind of the context might be. And so we still, you know, we're, we're now coming up to the point where we're sort of past the discussion about how are we going to implement this and and on to uh, what else can we do because we still have these balances uh, that are sitting here and, and, and what's going to happen. There you have it. The five themes we predict will drive change in the industry next year, born from the pandemic, but whose impact will last for years to come. For more data and details on these themes, be sure to download the 2021 Health Benefits Outlook by visiting allegis.com backslash outlook. That's A-L-E-G-E-U-S dot com backslash outlook. Our thanks to Kat Perez, Carly Dunkelberger, and Jason Lacey for being part of this episode. You've been listening to Creating Healthier Futures with Allegis, the industry's leading benefit administration platform. 